0: This week's parish is Parsha lech lecha. I once heard when I was in Kaltaira from Rabshaan in Ayrabah in Shir, he was once talking about Chaim Malajna. And he started talking about various stories about when Malajna Yeshiva was founded. Chaim Malajna, of course, was the Talmud Mublik of the Vilna Gain. And the yeshiva that he started was extremely influential and revolutionary in Pal Yisrael. It, it influenced so many other yeshivas. It spawned and facilitated the Torah that we have today. All comes really from this yeshiva started by Reb Chaim with the Haskama and with the Hadracha of the Vilna Gain. The Vilna Gain was nifter before the yeshiva was actually established. And when the yeshiva was up and running, somebody in the office of the yeshiva printed up stationery unbeknownst to Rav Chaim There was a need to print stationery to, as all yeshivas have, you know, the need to communicate with people around them, and the masthead, the top of the stationery, was a, I don't know, maybe there was a picture of the yeshiva, perhaps, but it said, it, the writing was, yeshivas velazhin, and then under it, in a so smaller font, it said, miyushad Mitalmide hagroth. That it was established by the students of the Vomagaim. And the primary student, of course, was Rubchaimelajna. And that's what the reference was to. It was Miyusud mi hagra. And Rubchaimur came into the room after the stationery was printed. And they show him proudly the new Yeshiva stationery, beautiful stationery. And Rav Chaim tur- turns tail. And he says, all of this stationery has to be shredded and burned. And to after the arrow. Why? What's wrong with it? Is there a typo? He says, yeah, there's a major typo on the stationery. How could you have written that it was the yusra, mitalmide ha-gra? I'm a Talmud of the Gra. I could call the Vilna Gaon my Rebbe because the Vilna Gaon was Rabbi Shal Yisrael. He was everybody's Rebbe. He was the leader, of the Rebbe, the master of Kali Yisrael. There would have been nothing wrong, and there is nothing wrong when I say that the Vilna Gaon was my Rebbe because indeed he was. He taught me everything that I know. But for me to lay claim to the title of being a Talmud of the Grau says there is something so wrong with that on so many levels that we cannot use this stationery. It's a terrible Abla for me to consider myself in any which way a Talmud of the Grah. The gra was was the Gan Gainim. He was the greatest in sitkus, in Kedusha, in Taira. In Taira he is the Ammud of Taira Shebichsav, Taira Whatever we have today is straight from the Grah. How can little me Claim to be a Talmud of the Grah, it's impossible. If the Vilna Gain, who really was the Talmud of the Grah, and, the, and if Reb Chaim was the Talmud of the Grah, and he was, and he really was great in his own way, and the, I'm sure the Grah would really have no problem with him calling him his Talmud, and yet Rav Chaim was so reluctant and completely unable to consider himself to be a Talmud of the Grah, could you imagine if somebody would call us a Talmud of Avraham Avinu? If somebody would tell us that we are a Talmud of Avraham Avinu, if let's say somebody would write you a letter and they would say, L'chvei dididi, Talmud shall Avram Avinu. Could you imagine the embarrassment of that? How unworthy we would be to be called a Talmud of Avram Avinu? If Ha'am Molojnar was afraid to call himself a Talmud of Begra, even though he really was in every which way, how much should we be reluctant and should it be unfathomable for us to ever consider ourselves to be Talmud of Avram Avinu? And so that's why it's so surprising that there's a Mishnah in Pirkei Abis, in Parake Mishnah Yotes, that says that it's possible for us to consider ourselves Talmidim of Avinu. Who are the Talmidim of Avinu, says the Mishnah? If you have three things, if you're able to have three wonderful Midas in life, then you can proudly call yourself a card-carrying Talmud of Avraham Avinu. Ayin Nemucha If you have a good eye, and that's what I want to talk about today, what it means having a good eye. If you have a humble spirit, a lowly demeanor, you're not Gaivadik, you're not braggadocious, you're simple, you know who you are, you know your place, you know who you're not. If you have all of those three qualities, then you are a Talmud of Avraham And if you don't have these qualities, the Mishnah continues, or you have the opposite Midas, then you are a Talmud of Bilam Harashah. This sounds like extra credit to me. If to be called a Talmud of Aram Avinu, that sounds to be like wow, those are for Yichidei Skula I don't deserve to be a Talmud of Aram Avinu. I don't deserve that title. How dare I call myself a Talmud of So it must be extra credit but you should know that the Altef and Sabaqda writes, it's brought in a Sefer Aratzafen, that if you don't have these three Midas, he says you may have learned in Yeshiva your entire life, you could sit in Cairo and learn day and night, but if you fail to have these three Midas, you are not considered to be in the base Medrash, in the Yeshiva of Avraham It's not that, well, okay, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm I'm really good. I just don't have those three meters. You have to have those three meters. We are obligated to be Talmidim of what's going on? Let's try that again. We're obligated to be Talmudim of Avramabinu. And so it's incumbent upon us to understand what this entails. What is this one first midah that the Mishnah tells us about, about having an eye in taiva. What is the midah of having a good eye? In order to understand something, in order to define something, very often we have to look at what the opposite is. If we're able to sometimes see what the opposite is, it sometimes bring it, brings into clearer focus what that thing is. The opposite of ayin taiva is, of course, an ayin ra'a. To have a bad eye towards somebody, to have an evil eye. <clears throat> evil eyes, to have a bad eye towards somebody. When you see somebody and you're jealous and you don't fagin, you don't have a good a good feeling about him and you wish him bad and nothing that he does or says is ever good in your eye you always have that that bad eye towards somebody that's one of the worst midas that a person can have it's one of the major struggles I think that many of us have in life that we're not happy for other people's success and not only are we not happy we're downright jealous and Very, very, very unhappy for that person. We have this all the time. We have friends, and we're dating, and they're dating, and then they get engaged to a wonderful girl from a beautiful family, and here we are. We don't have somebody yet for ourselves and it's hard for us if you'd have an in taiva you would be able to be so happy for your friend that's your friend's kala I'm going to get my own kala Mitzhashem. but if you have an in ra then you're not you're impossibly. it's impossible for you to be happy for that person you're just downright upset why did he get that and not me why is he zaifa and not me a person is better in learning, if a person has got, got into a great graduate school and you wanted to also get into that graduate school and you didn't and you give him that eye, maybe openly you, you wish him Mazel tov, but deep down inside you're really upset about it you're not happy for him that's what an eye in raw is person gets into a great business Becomes very successful, has great kids. Are you happy for him or not? If you're happy for him, then you're mitamidah sholavram avinu. If you're not happy for him, then you're the opposite. And many of us just betiveinu naturally are not happy for other people. It's just it's built into our DNA. It's just the way we are. We're not happy about that. That that's the way we are, but that's simply the way we are. It's difficult for us to see other people's successes. Do you know that the entire Mussar movement came about because of an Ayin Ra'ah? You want to see the devastating effects of what an Ayin Ra'ah could do that caused or Bisra'al Salamthi to start the Mussar movement, to understand how... Needed, how necessary Qal is of learning Musar. Once upon a time there was a very poor shoemaker who lived in a certain city, his name was Yankala, and used to fix people's shoes, not very lucrative, a Parnassa takes a long time to fix a pair of shoes, and how much can you charge already? And they were struggling financially. They were living very, very poor. And one day a letter comes from a big city to this Yankelo, the shoemaker, and it's from a lawyer. And the lawyer tells him that your wealthy uncle died and he left you his entire estate. Yankelo comes home and tells his wife the wonderful news, and they're so excited, finally they can get out of this crushing poverty. And they go to the big city, they get the check, and they invest it in some investments, and it pays off. And eventually, Yanko gets to close his shoe store. He doesn't need that anymore. And with his extra time, he goes and he sits and learns in a base measure. She hires good rabbi he gets chavrusas, he gets more and more proficient in learning. All of a sudden, Yanko, in just a few years, goes from a simple, poor shoemaker to being a respected Talmud Chacham. Not only him, but his children, he's able to hire the greatest malamdim in the vicinity to teach these children. And the children become it. The children go from being simple, poverty-stricken, young People to being mature, p'nei taira, the girls begin to also get educated. His family goes from rags to riches. Suddenly, he is one of the most respected men in the town. Him and his wife and his family, beautiful. And then his son, his oldest son, who became a, a real Tamil was dating and he was read to the rob of this town's daughter. In those days, if you do a shidduch with a rob's daughter, that means that you made it. Today, unfortunately, it may not be that way. Today, it might not be so fashionable. It's much more impressive, I think, to many people if you marry a gebir's daughter than if you marry a chacham's daughter. But in the olden days, when people really understood what life was all about, it was usher to marry to marry a Tamar Chacham's daughter, a Bas Tamar Chacham. As Chazal say, A person should sell everything that he has just in order to marry the daughter of a Tamar Chacham. That's how important this is. So the Rav agreed to the Shidduch with Yankala. And they went out, and they liked each other, and they got engaged. And the whole town was so happy for Yankel. It was such a big simcha. Beautiful family, wonderful chassan, amazing kaula, m'chutin with a rav, and the whole town was thrilled for Yankel. except for one person. There was a blacksmith in town. And the blacksmith used to own a store right next to Yanko's shoe store, was the blacksmith store. And they were close. After all, they had a similar line of business. And they sat next to each other. And while Yanko was fixing his shoes, Yanko was doing his his work. The other, the other man was doing his work. And they would schmooze. And they would tell stories to one another. Very good friends. And the blacksmith continued to be a blacksmith with his poultry income. And he sees Yanko with his Yerusha rising in prominence in the city, him and his children, his family, and he was seething with jealousy. He had the worst raw. Maybe on the surface he seemed happy for Yanko, but he saw his family still mired in poverty after all these years. His economic situation did not change at all. If anything, it got worse. And Yanko, his old friends, look at him today. He's marrying into the Rav's mishpacha. And he didn't fagin. He did not allow this. He couldn't live with this. It was eating him up inside. And so it came the day of the chasna. And Yanko was dressed beautifully. He got a custom-tailored suit. Him and his children, they all looked like picture perfect. And the food was absolutely delicious. The finest cuisine and wine and schnapps and whatever you wanted. Yanko was paying for it. And the rub was there and they were standing under the chuppah, Yanko and the Rub, and the Chassan and the Kala and the mothers and the whole town was like, it was in, they were in seventh heaven. But the blacksmith was also in attendance. And as Yanko was coming after the chuppah down the aisle escorting the happy couple and he was standing next to the rav and there were throngs of people around wishing him well. The blacksmith was standing there waiting. Waiting to ambush Yanko. He wasn't ambushing him with a gun. He was ambushing him with something much worse. And as Janko came close and everybody was wishing him Mazel tub and kissing him, the blacksmith pulls out from beneath his jacket an old beaten pair of shoes that he owned. And he screams out with an earshot of the entire crowd Yanko, these are my old shoes. Tell me something. How much would you charge me to fix these shoes? And the whole chasma sort of just froze. And the band stopped playing. And Yankel blanched. And Yanko turned green and red and white. And it was such busyness for Yankel that at this height of his life, Simchasa, he was so humiliated by his old friend, the blacksmith, who simply could not live with the fact that Yanko had attained this level of prominence and came to this point in his life the Simcha was taken away from Yanko and that night Yanko went to sleep and he never woke up so distraught was Yanko by this Pizayan this public disgrace that this person had to do towards him That Yanko never recuperated, he couldn't live with that anymore, and he died. And this word, this story, spread throughout all of Europe. Eastern Europe, Western Europe, it made its way to every hamlet, and every shtetl, and everybody was talking about this story. And what bad need are. And finally, the story came before Yisrael Salanter. And Yisrael Salanter, when he heard this story, said something has to be done to call so. If such a thing could happen, if people could have such schlech people could have such terrible, abominable character, a new movement needs to be made. A movement to change the very nature of us. To make us good people, to make us hamidim of Avraham Avinu. And this is what drove Abisal Salantar to start his Muslim movement. This is how bad an Ayin Ra is. To put an Ayin Har on somebody to not be happy for that person. I remember when I was first married, a few years into our marriage, I think we just had a baby and we, my wife and I went to a restaurant in Brooklyn to eat. And we went in, and I guess it was about 5 o'clock for dinner, and the entire restaurant, the large restaurant was empty, completely empty. There wasn't a single table that was full. Every, the, whole ta- the whole restaurant was, was empty. It wasn't yet supper time. And it was me and my wife, and we had a, a baby in a, in a car seat and a stroller. We needed some, some room. So he sat us at a at a table for two. A little table, like this, like the size of this, like you know, just enough for your knife and your fork and that's it. And we had, oh, and had a my pocketbook and this and that and I had my hand and you know, the whole table, the whole restaurant was um there were big tables, medium sized tables, and we could use more space to put the baby left. So I said to the owner, I said, you know. Would you mind giving us a little bit of a bigger table? Very, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't confrontational. I just, I think I was very nice to him. So just please, you know, he says, uh, he says, uh, no. He said, that's your table. He said, I said, you know, the whole restaurant is empty. I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, it's an empty restaurant right now. And we could use a larger table. We're the only ones here. He got so angry at me for saying that the restaurant is empty right now. He said, you're putting an ayin hara on my restaurant. Out! And I would have left, but I was really hungry, so I, I just apologized. It was easier to apologize. But, uh, but he was so angry about this ayin hara. People are crazy. When it comes to an ayin hara. I didn't even give him an ayin hara. I just said that. I just pointed out the obvious. But People, when it comes to an Hara and, you know, the Gemara speaks, ayin Hara is not some heebie-jeebie thing that was invented, you know, 25 years ago. Ayin Hara, the Gemara speaks about ayin Hara. It's a very real thing. Because there is something to an INR. When a person gives somebody a bad eye, it does damage. Why it does damage, how it does damage, why it's fair that it should do damage to the person, that's spoken about in the Saram Mithra Melio speaks about it, gives a whole lambda how how actually works. How's it, what's the mechanics of Einar? Why is it that if I give you an evil eye, why could it affect you in a bad way, which it does sometimes? In any event, if we know that an raw is so bad, imagine how good an Taiva is. Imagine when a person is, instead of putting an evil eye on somebody. I don't fagin. I'm not, by the way, I keep repeating that word fagin. I hope that everybody understands what it is because it's a word, it's a Yiddish word that has absolutely, it's untranslatable. I've tried many times to think of a good way to translate it. You just can't translate it. You have to sort of understand by the context what I'm saying what it means. I don't fagin you. If if you know if you had a big success, I just don't fagin you. How do you translate that? I'm sure people will come over. I, it's not going to work. Trust me. I, I know all the words in the output in the in the dictionary. It ain't working. There's no word except fagin is the perfect word. I don't fagin. And imagine if I do fagin. If I do, if I'm able to really be happy for you and accept your success and make it my success really be happy in your simcha with your success, with your promotion with your, with your great tidings if I could be happy for you if I could give you an ayin taiva that would be the most amazing thing in the world that would make me the most perfect human being there are yachidim by the way that, has, that have this ability there are yachidim that are really genuinely happy for other people it's very rare to find, but it does exist. Sometimes you think of those people like they're they're like not normal. You know, there's something probably off about them because they're too happy when somebody gets you know has a simcha. But they're not. They're just they're the normal ones. We're the crazy ones. Once upon a time, a Talmud, an Avrich and Kailal went to Abshlemizal Minerva and told him that we just bought a new apartment in a nice part of town, Baruch Hashem, we're not renting anymore, we bought. And he asked him shilas about putting up a mezuzah, putting up mezuzas in different parts of the house. You think it's the easiest thing, right? What's the idea? Buy some mezuzas and you put them up on the on the door, on the right side of the door. There's a lot of halachic shylas that come up when you're moving into a new apartment about the timing of putting up the mezuzahs and the location of the mezuzah, which side of the door do you put it on. Sometimes, obviously, the front door, you know you always put on a mezuzah. On the right side, the yemin when you're coming in, on the right side, that's where the mezuzah is. But sometimes you have doors, let's say, between, like I have a doorway between my, uh, my living room and my dining room. So, uh, which side do you put it on? I mean, you, you know, you, there's entrances to both my living room and my dining room. We go from one room into the other and from that room back into the first and which side you put it on? You, don't, you definitely don't put it on both sides. So which is the right side? And you have to ask a paisik. Like. It's very important to go and ask a paisik like which is the right, you know, probably on different things, on flow of traffic and doorways and this and that. There's, there's you know, which way you go in more than the other. There's, but you have to ask a paisik like if you have any of these sort of shyness and it's very common to have these shyness. So this this Avrif came to Shalem Zaman and it was sort of giving him a schematic of the, of the rooms of, the, of, his, of his new apartment, and Rav was helping him exactly figure out which is the right side to put the mezuzah up on. Anyway, they move into this new apartment, and a few weeks later, there's a knock on the door. And he opens up the door, the abit, and lo and behold, right in front of his eyes was none other... Then the Gadol HaDar of Shema Zaman came to visit. Nice surprise. Nice surprise. Guests have come to your house, Shema Zaman Aribaf. And he came into the house says, I just wanted to wish you mazatov a new apartment. And could you give me a tour of the house? This is very odd. Shema Zaman is not a guy that's just, you know, not a person just like has nothing to do with his time but to, you know, check out the interior decorating of people's apartments. So the priest says, yeah, you, you want to see the apartment, okay, here's the kitchen, it's not huge, here, this is the kitchen, dining room, living room, bedroom, done. That's it. And Rosh Hashanah was going, you know, through every room and saying, oh, it's a beautiful living room, it's a beautiful dining room, it's such a nice kitchen, it's such a, it's large, it has space, it's, you'll be happy cooking here and you'll be happy learning there and it's a nice study room for you and that's a nice bedroom. And Rosh Hashanah was spending like a lot of time in this apartment and, you know, the husband and wife, they were so flattered, but yet they were confused, like what's going on over here? Anyway, they bid Rav Shalem a good night and thank you for coming, and a few days later, they this this average goes over to Rav Shalem in Yeshiva, and he says to him, you know, can I ask the Yeshiva a question? The Yeshiva was so kind to come to the apartment to visit and spend time and looking around and saying nice things, but why? Surely the Rashiva has a lot better things to do than to visit our humble abode. And M'shem said the following thing. Listen to what he said. He says, you know, it's hard and rare for an Avri to finally be able to afford an apartment. And that's what, This was years ago, before real estate in Eretz Yisrael, you know, skyrocketed. But it was hard, and, and he says, Many avreichim, like you, they would love to have an apartment like this. But nebuchadnezzar, they, they can't afford it. And I imagine, he says, that there's probably a few people, or maybe more than a few, of your chaverim, of your haburah, that aren't so perfectly thrilled that you were able to pull it off. That you were able to accomplish this great feat by making, your, by buying yourself an apartment in a desirable neighborhood, a, a nice size apartment. He says, and I bet you that there might be a little bit of an ayin hara on your apartment. And that's what I was afraid of. So I came to visit the apartment, and I wanted to see every single room in the apartment, and I invested in every single room, and I am Kaiba so as to counteract the ill effects of any eye and raw that people might be putting upon you. That's Talmidesh of Avraham Avinu. That's what it means to be a real student, to be Zayfet, to have this title of being a Talmud of Avraham Avinu. That's what Rav Shalman Zaman HaZalman was. To be a person that's able to go and look at things with a good eye. Not to look at things with a bad eye. Not to be able to always you know, see the negative in people and say, why does he deserve that? How did he get that? Is he better than me? Is he smarter than me? Is he luckier than me? That's what most people are thinking. As you see your friend pulling up in a brand new car, or buying a brand new home, or building a larger business office, or getting a bigger promotion, why him? Why not me? And they put an iron raw on everything, everywhere they turn. They put that evil eye, investing it deeply into the other person, into your victim. Seeking to somehow hurt, somehow damage, somehow take away that success from that person. That's the normal default human nature, I believe. It's a very difficult thing. Kina, is perhaps the hardest midah to deal with. If you have that type of midah of kinah, it's very hard, it's very hard to uproot kinah from you. It's a lot easier to do a lot of other things before you can uproot kinah. Just as an aside, just as a marimakim, if you want to learn about kinah, if you feel like you do have this midah of kinah, and it's really eating you up, and it's corrosive, I highly recommend learning Arfa Sadiqim Shar Hakina. It's fabulous. He really speaks to the issue and he explains it so well in such graphic terms and he tries to hold us by the hand and walk us through why it's ridiculous to be a jealous person, why it's ridiculous to have this Ayin raw, and to turn your life around and to have a good eye towards people. But as much as we learn... Musar, still, it still is a very, very, very difficult midah top route. If it was easy, it wouldn't be something that you would be a Talmud of, of a Avinu for. It's precisely because it's difficult to have this Ayin Taiva that would earn us this amazing title, this amazing schus to be in the Yeshiva of a Ar- How would we avoid having an ayin ra? The basic way that a person could attain an ayin ta'iva is by being happy with what we have. I'm happy with what I have. This is what the Rebbeinu blessed me with. This is my lot in life. I'm an usher. I'm tamei b'chalki. What's brought? what's called in svarim hisapdos pamuit. I'm happy with whatever I have. I'm Hisapik. I'm satisfied. I don't need what he has. I'm good where I am. I'm not the smartest person. If I would have been smarter, it wouldn't have been good for me. I'm not the wealthiest person. Maybe it wouldn't be good if I had too much money. Maybe it wouldn't be good for me. The Rebendishvam knows exactly what I need and if I need more, he'd give it to me. And maybe he will. But what's mine is mine and I'm happy with it. What's yours, that's yours. You'll be happy with it. It's yours. An ayin teva requires that hisapos. If you don't feel satisfied yourself, that's what gnaws at you when you see other people seemingly happier, seemingly more successful, seemingly more accomplished than you. It eats me up because I'm not happy with myself. I want to be more like you. But if I was happy with who I am, then I could see you and be happy for your success. You have your children, I have my children. You made your shidduch, I'll make my shidduch. You got your profession, I'll get my profession. And the Rebbein has a plan for me just like he has a plan for you. This is the Midah of Ram and if you're going to ask me where is the Samhita of Avram Avinu, where do you find this? It's in this week's Pasha. Avram Avinu, when it came to Sadaim, Avram Avinu went to save his captured nephew Light. He was taken captive by very mighty kings. And also, together with Light, were people in Sadaim. That were taken captive. Light went and he saved not only light from captivity, but he also rescued on this Entebbe mission that Abramavinu did. He also chopped all the people of Sadaim that were taken captive. And he brought back the people and he brought back all the booty and he said to the Melach Sadaim, it's all yours. And Melchizedek says, no, no, no. Tainly on Nefesh, you give me the people. For a Farachush Kaploch, and you take the money. Take the money for yourself. It's millions of dollars. yours. You deserve it. And Avraham Rabinus says, no. If from a string to a shoestrap, I will not take it. You keep it. For like, nobody should say that you made Avram Avino wealthy. The Rabbanishtham made me wealthy. I don't want it. It's yours. You keep it. How many people would do that? How many people, if I offered you a million dollars, $20 million, $50 million, how many people would be able to say, no, 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 you know, I'm fine. I'm good. Thank you very much. You keep it? Crazy? million on the table, you keep it. It's not normal. It takes a very disciplined person to say that. It takes a highly principled individual who really is self-confident, self-assured, happy with who he is, comfortable in his own skin, secure in what he has, to be able to say I have absolutely no interest in taking that, that's not my money, you keep it it's yours, I don't need it Mm -hmm. the Baitanura on the Mishnah Navi says this is the Makar for knowing that Abraham Avino possessed the most beautiful positive high in the world, he didn't need anything more, what do I need it for? I need the 20 million dollars I don't need it I'm happy exactly with whatever I have in my bank account, that is mine that's mine. You take whatever you want. It's not, it's not for me to take. It. That's an ayin taiva. That means I am misappic with what I have and I'm not jealous. I have no other needs than what I have. I'm perfectly taken care of by the rabbinic Thank you very much. I don't need it. I don't want it. You have it. You enjoy it. This is the Mida of and this is how you could too become a Talmud of Avram. I saw something additional to this Yusayd in Rapinkis' the Sefer. Rabb Shimshim Pincus, who is a master, we've spent many years learning his Tayyar on the Vavin in Yeshiva. The most beautiful Tyra, contemporary Tairas are Pincuses. He's so on the mark, every single time. Can't miss every single dart that he says is gold. And he points out the Pasuk in this week's parasha about the rescue attempt, the successful rescue mission of Avraham Not only did he take out light but he took with him also the people of Sadaim he rescued. Now let's think about that for a second. Who are the people of Sadaim? How would you look at the people of Sadaim if you were Avram Avinu? You would probably not look at them too positively. Quite the opposite. Avram Avinu was the Omer HaChesed. He was perfect in Chesed, Abraham Avinu. That's what he made his life's mission to accomplish, to give to others, to be generous with others, to spread the word of Hashem, which was the biggest chesed that He gave to others. And who were the people of Sadaim? They were roim v'chatoim, Hashem ma'ayid, they were abominable human beings, the worst midas, the most stingy, the most selfish. If a person wanted to put up a guest in their home, they deserved death for that their warped system of justice, as Chazal described in laughable terms. These were people that Avram Avinu should be happy if they would be all no longer in the world. If we would be Avraham Avinu and we have the opportunity to, to bury these people alive, we probably, you know, if we were him, we would probably think about doing that. that these were people that were totally the antithesis of my mission in life. But instead of seeing it them that way, Avram Avinu just looked for the positive. And he went out of his way to not only save, but to do good with the people of Sadaim. He gave them their money. And then later on in the Tire he's going to plead on their behalf with the Rabbanishvayam to save them. When Akkadosh tells him that I'm going to destroy Sadaim, I'm going to turn over Sadaim, Avram Avinu becomes their lawyer and starts having this bargaining discussion in the Tire of there's 50 tzaddikim, there's 45 tzaddikim, 40 tzaddikim, 10 tzaddikim. He was pleading with Akadish Barclu to save whom? To save his arch enemies. So comfortable was Avram Avinu in who he was and what his mission was that he didn't look to put any iron rod on anybody, even his worst enemy. He did not want to harm. Here, of course, he probably davened every day, they should do chuba, they should be tzadikim. but I have no interest in doing them harm. That wouldn't serve my purpose. I want to do good for them. I want to be mashpi on them with taiv. That's the ultimate ayin taiva, says Rabbi Sal Salantur. We have our work cut out for ourselves. If we thought it was bad to have an ayin taiva towards our good friend that's successful, now We're expected even to raise the bar further to be palmidim of Avram. By what? By not only having a good eye towards our friends, but even towards people that are not our friends. People that we despise. People that we have nothing in common with. People that we're against. People that are not sharing our hashkafas, not sharing our belief system, not sharing our values. Even they deserve our Ayin Taiva. There's a story about a Sal Salanter, who was once traveling to Vilna, and he was sitting next to a person in the train. He used to have these cars, like little the compartments in the train, and it's hard to imagine in 2016 such a thing happening, but... Rabbi Shal pulled out a cigar and began to smoke. Today, that's unthinkable. You can't smoke inside a train. You can't smoke inside a plane. You can't smoke inside a car. You can't smoke inside of a stadium, inside of a building. inside of, They can't even smoke inside of a park today. Any public area, you're not allowed to smoke. But those days, people would smoke. I remember when I was a kid, wherever you went, it was an you know... Clouds of smoke. You went into an airport, everybody was smoking. You went into a mall, everybody was smoking. You went into a, a restaurant, there were areas that, you were, that people were smoking. It's, to think about that today, you know, for you in a generation that you grew up in, it's, it's unthinkable. But that's the way it was. Everybody smoked. Not everybody, but many, many people smoked and they smoked in public areas and everybody reeked of cigarettes. But anyway, that was the way it was. So Rabbi Sal Salander, who lived in the 1800s, he certainly, then it was very, very high class to smoke and many of the aristocrats and, you know, it was a, it was a very hush of a thing to smoke. So he pulled out his smoke, his pipe, his, his cigar, and he lit up and there was a person in the car with him that was very, very upset about this and he started screaming, Rabbi Salander, how could you smoke in the car? And it's disturbing me, and I can't breathe in here, and it's impossible. And you know, how can you how can you do such a thing? And Rishel Solanter was very sensitive to it. I mean, that's why the story's a bit surprising because they say stories about like Rishel Solanter that he was so he once went to Davin. I think he found himself in Germany once on on Rosh Yom Kippur, and there was a shul in Germany, and there was a uh, they kept the doors open. They didn't have air conditioning in those days, and it was I guess a, a warm Yom Kippur and. They left all the doors open and he went with the Talmud and they were davening in the Shul and the Talmud was standing a little bit in the doorway and it blocked some of the air and during Shemina Esrei Rabbi Sal taps on the Shul and says, move away from the doorway. It says, people need air in the Shul. They, they opened up the doors, and say, and you're blocking some of the air from coming in. You don't have the right to do that. So Rabbi Sol Salander was very sensitive to this so immediately he put his cigar out and immediately opened up the windows of the train, of the car of the train, to get some fresh air coming in. And then the same person starts screaming, Rizal Salanto, close the windows, it's freezing in here. And he was really like, the whole train, he was really like downright abusive to Rusal Salanto. He didn't know who he was. He comes out of the train, this is how all these stories go, right? They come out of the train together, and what happens? They see thousands of people with signs welcome Rabbi Shalantar to Vilna and of course he says oh, who, who's Rabbi Shalantar this guy says and that guy there just who I thought so he downright was Mavaza and abused Rabbi Shalantar and he goes over to him and he starts pleading please Rabbi I'm so sorry I didn't know who you were I apologize for my chutzpah for my rudeness Please be Michael me. And he's crying and crying, crying, crying too much. And Rabbi Sassan says, what's, what's wrong? I Michael you. What's, what's the problem? He says, he says, not just that. He says, I have no Pernassa. And I came to Vilna because I wanted to get a Kabbalah in Shechit. I want to be a Shechet. I want to be a butcher. And I need, like a Kabbalah. I need Smicha to be a Shechet. And that's what I came to Vilna for. And I... And I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it or not. My wife and my family, they're waiting for me and they're hoping that I get a Kabbalah and Sripa. So Bishal, Bishal San says, listen, I have a son-in-law who lives in Vilna. He's a big time Go to him and, you know what, I'll take you. Let's go together. And he brings him to, the, to his son-in-law's house and he says, I want you to sit and learn with him. Um, give him a Fahar and give him a Kabbalah. So he says, okay, I'll give you a Fahar. He turns out he knew nothing about Shripa. And so Rabbi Yisrael Salanter says to his son, I want you to sit and teach him until he can get a Kabbalah. And he was so native to him. And he taught him. And he arranged for a Kabbalah. And then Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, I think, also signed the Kabbalah. So it was really a great Kabbalah. And this was the middah of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, not only he could have said this guy was awful to me It's a horrible person How, you know? I don't want anything good to happen to him he's my sworn enemy I mean he had such kutvot he had no idea with his perfect midas being the Talmud of Abram, he not only was Michael him but he was made to on top of it he gave an ayin taiva even to to, his, to somebody that was very not nice to him He went out of his way and really out of his way to be native to somebody who was not good to him. Because that's who you have to be if you really want to have an I.M. type. If you're really a tamad of a ram, you have to not only be good to your friends, which now seems almost easy, but even to people that you don't like, to be native to them, to be happy for them. You know, when people think of the Satma Rebbe, what a lot of people think of is a person that really was anti-Zionist. We think of Satmar, Satmar ooh, they're the you know, they're they're the people that are against the Medina. That's the joke, you know, about why why Megillus Esther, why laning Megillus Esther and takes so long in, in Satmar. Because they clap every time the word Medina is mentioned in the Megillah, <laughs> so they're, they're really anti anti the Medina, <laughs> anti the Medina. So, so thank you. So, um, <laughs> so listen to this story. There was a journalist in Eretz during the time that the Samarab was alive and he was very Zionistic, and he wrote articles constantly bashing the Sat The Sat whatever his Ashkafas were, whether you whether people feel they're right or wrong, he was a That thing is that's clear. He was a Malach Hashem Tzvakesh, he looked like a Malach. I never saw him, but they say, and if you see pictures of him, this is the way a Malach looks, for sure. They look like the Sat The long flowing white payas, and the beard, and the... The the eyes and the whole he was he was kaddish 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 and but this journalist constantly lambasted the Satmar his politics his Ashkafis his his downright you know attacks on Eretz Yisrael and the Medina and HaFari. anyway this journalist his wife got very sick al Utslan. And she needed... They lived in Eretz Israel. They had to come to America to get treatment for his wife. And they didn't have insurance. And when you don't have insurance and you need insurance in a hospital because it's impossible. I mean, every single time that the nurse gives you a shot, every time the nurse takes your temperature, it's like $500, literally. And every treatment, every... uh, Everything that's done for a cancer patient is, is, you can't afford it. You could be the richest guy in the world and you would be wiped out with one, one It's Very important to have medical insurance under those circumstances. In general it is. So, so this person was running out of money very quickly. He was in a hospital. He wanted his wife to get the best treatment possible in America, but he had no money anymore. And he needed to raise money. He didn't know anyone in America. So somebody told him that there's one address that you should go to in Williamsburg. The Sat Marebbe. Because the Sat Marebbe has thousands of Hasidim. He's very wealthy. He gets a lot of money coming in from his Hasidim to distribute taniyim and Nitzrochem. And if there's one address we all recommend that you go to at the Samreba he's going to be able to take care of you. Now the person says, maybe you don't know who I am. I can't go to the Sat Marebbe because I have been so sharp-tongued against the Samar I have literally crushed him in my scathing editorials and my articles about the Samar The Sat Marebbe probably knows all about me. I can't go. They said, well, you don't have much of a choice. You know, if you had a choice, we wouldn't be talking. But you don't have a choice. You have to go. He's the one address that you might be able to have the Yeshua. So, yeah, he might not give you, but chances are he's a big tzaddik, Chances are he's going to give you. So the person dying seven deaths finally schleps himself before the Samareba. And the Samareba looks up from his desk, from his table, and he says to him, What's your name? And he embarrassingly says his name like under his president. I didn't hear. What's your name? And he says his name, and the Samareba, like, you know, he's brilliant, and he cops immediately who this person is. And he says, "Shalom Aleichem, what are you here for? And he goes and he cries his heart and he tells him about his wife and the insurance. And the and the Rebbe says, well, you know, sounds like a very expensive procedure, right? He says, yes. says, and you probably have to pay, you know, to stay in a hotel over here or to stay in somebody's house over here and yet you need food. And then they made a whole cheshpen for how much the treatments are going to cost and... And the Samarabba told his Gabai, give him a check for that amount. A check for that amount, like, I don't know how much it was. Maybe it was uh, 50,000. I have no idea. A lot of money the Samarabba gave this person who was Mamish Hissainid. Mamish, a person that was his arch enemy. The Samarabba could have right away said, You get out of my face. I know who you are. You don't deserve a nickel from me. You're lucky, you know, if you make it out of here alive. But the Samarabit turned around like Avraham with Sadaim and instead of giving an Ayin raw to him he gave him an Ayin Taiva and he gave the Ayin Taiva. He gave with such generosity. And the person couldn't believe it. And the Samarab says, do me one favor. When your wife gets better, Amir Hashem, and you're going back to Israel, before you go on the plane, come back to me. The person says, okay. And he went back to his wife and he paid all of his bills and his wife, Baruch Hashem, had a speedy recovery, full recovery. And they were on their way back towards the airport and he remembers his promise to Sat Merebbe. And he says to himself, now Sat is going to get to me. He's going to lace into me big time now because then I was pitiful. When my wife was sick, then he was he was treating with kid gloves. But now, now he's going to get his revenge. And he walks into the Sam Rebbe's court and he... And he says, Rebbe, thank you so much. So Rebbe said, I'm happy that things worked out well for you. He says, but I've been thinking, and this is why I wanted you to come back. He says, it's not just the expenses that you had here in America... But in Eretz Yisrael, your bills are probably mounting up also. You have to pay your mortgage all these months that you were here. You have to pay the electricity and the phone. You have your kids, the tuition of your children. That's probably, you know, that's probably very a lot of money for you. You have the food to feed your children, the babysitting, all these things. How much does that cost? He says, yeah, that's a lot of money. How much? It's ten thousand dollars, and immediately again the rabbi takes out a check, ten thousand dollars, puts it in an envelope, and gives it to him. And he says, "I want you to be well. You and your wife should be That's The Taivas ayin of Gedaliah Yisrael. Before we criticize Gedaliah, just as an aside. So many times people are so quick to criticize Gedaliah Yisrael. We have like." A one minute sound bite, we know this about that gobble, and immediately uh, you know, he's not my gobble. Not, not for me. That's not my not my cup of tea. And we have this about certain individuals, you know, I know one thing about him. I know one ashkogat puzzle. Not for me. We don't know not just the depth of knowledge that the daily so have, but the depth of their hearts, how perfect their Midas are. That's what makes a goggle a goggle. The ability to have an ayin taiva even for detractors, even for people that are, that are not nice to us, that are not our best friends, that have not been nice to us. And constantly throughout life we're always faced with these challenges. There are people that we know that are not nice, they haven't been nice to us for many, many years, and now we have an opportunity. They need us. And we have an opportunity to either help them or the opposite. Rapinka says that Abraham Avinu's Ayin Taiva demands not just to save your friends, not just to give an Ayin Taiva to your friends, but even people that are not your friends to give an Ayin Taiva to. This is what Abhisenu HaKadoshim were. Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, these are people that have such a good eye for others. They were so happy for others. Then sib writes in that Dhamma to Hamid famous commentary on Sefer Bereshis. In the introduction he writes something, he says that the Sefer Bereshis is called Sefer Hayasher. Why is it called Sefer Hayasher? Because it has the Abes in it. It speaks about the lives of the Abes and the Abes were Yasharin. They were straight. What does that mean, Yisharim? What does it mean if I say that you are a straight person? What does that mean? You're honest. Direct. What does it mean? So he says that during the time of the Churban Mikdash, when there was Sinashinam, who did people have chinam towards? They had chinam towards not the enemy but towards people around. He says if there was a person during the times of the korban, before the korban, that didn't have your same hashkafa, your hashkafa were a little different. If let's say they wore a different color yarmulke, or they wore a different, he doesn't use these, this is my, my words, of course, He wore, they wore a different type of hat, or they didn't wear a hat at all, or they wore a blue shirt, or they wore a t-shirt, or they wore a sweatshirt, or they wore a frack, or they didn't wear a frack, or they wore a, you know, blue socks, or black socks, or white socks. What do we do? When we see somebody that's a little different, or, you know, like not not for me. Stay away. Not only stay away, but the washman of the Nitsiv is I wish I had it in front of me, but they were neksha Bay Kitsi Dykim, Bukabai Susem, they were Mamish <laughs> Apikursim. It's not just that you believe in something a little different than me. You're more Zionistic than I am or I'm more Zionistic than you and therefore we can't be friends. Not just we can't be friends. You're not the Kairos. You're not the Kairos. If you, you believe in, in, in the Kaila lifestyle or you don't believe in the Kairos, you're not the Kairos. Depending on my Hashkaphis, if your Hashkaphis are slightly different, we can't have a respectful relationship. I don't respect you. And not only do I not respect you, you are a mummelahachist. That's the way people look at other people. That's, that, that was what plagued people during the Khorbin Beis Mitrash. That's why the Khurban Beis HaMittush came this. Is not mine, but these are limited sins. You can look it up yourself. He says the others were different. The others were yesharim. Yesharim means that I have a yashrus. You don't agree with me, that's fine. I can still love you. I don't have to hate you because you disagree with me. We don't agree on a lot of things. You're a Republican, I'm a Democrat. We don't have to hate each other. I could have a respectful disagreement with you. That's not to say I have to capitulate. I have my Ashkaffas and I'm proud of my Ashkaffas and you have to live with your Ashkaffas. It's very important to have Ashkaffas. I'm not looking to make everybody pirate. It's important to have Ashkaffas. It's important to have Masaira from your Rebbe one way or another, whichever way it may be though, if you have a good source for your Ashgothus, I have to respect that. And you have to respect me. And we could be friends, regardless of the differences that we may have. And the differences might be very, very severe and very important differences. But that doesn't change the fact that you are my brother and that I love you. This is what makes the Aves Yisharim it's a straightness. It's not a crookedness. Crookedness would mean that, like, I'm off kilter. When I see you, I'm, I'm like, I'm crooked now because, because, something about you is not right, and so I can't look at you the same way. I look at you with like a jaundiced eye because you're not my ashkav. You're different. The others were yesham. Your right, listen, you're a human being. You're niver B'Tselem Kim. I love you. You could be different than me. you could be Sadaim. You could be avaryonim gemurim. And I think that you're absolutely wrong in everything about you. Your lifestyle is wrong. Your system of beliefs are wrong. Your value system is all messed up. And I'm very against what you do. But I'll save your life. I'll be meister nefesh to save your life. Repinkus, by the way, brings down something very interesting that there was a a certain gadol that he had like a very big fight with a different with a gadol of a different hashkafa, and that gadol of a different hashkafa had a a very big mappolo. He had a very big downfall. And normally, you know, if I if this is my enemy, then I'm going to be very happy if that person has a downfall. That's what I want. That's what I'm davening for, right? So the person comes to this godl and says, You know what? You should be very happy because it's uh, that per- The other person that you were arguing with is a Russia and mitzvah le It's a mitzvah to bury a rasha. That's what he was saying to this, this, this other godl. The person looks at him like he's crazy. He says, Are you, are you, are you serious? Mitzvah of kaivre. He says, I'll bring you a proof that it's not true what you're saying. He says, During the time of Makas we know that Klai Yisrael lost four-fifths of the, their entire nation because these were Rishayim, Chazal tell us, they didn't want to leave Mitzrayim. So Klai Yisrael buried them. Now he says, that must be, he says, what was the schus why we left Mitzrayim? Chazal tell us, because we had Dam Pesach, Dan Milo, we had certain mitzvahs, there were great mitzvahs and that was the schos that we left the time with. He says, what do they, need? they had a very big schos. They buried Rashar. They buried four or five millions of people. They went and they buried their mortal enemies. Obviously, you see that it's not a mitzvah of fiber. No mitzvah to bury your enemy. We want to daven for our enemies. the. tamu min to the should be gone but not v'chaitim. Abraham Avinu was somebody who loved people so much that he saw beyond their differences. He saw them as beautiful people, as Yishorim. He saw them in such a straight, good light. And that's how we have to try to be. It's very hard. This is like a really hard topic to talk about because I don't like personally giving and about things that I have no shayfas to I'm not saying that every shmuuz I give, I have shykes too, but at least I, you know, I could, I could somewhat relate. This is a shmuuz that it's very hard to give a schmooz like this because I feel somewhat or very much hip, hypocritical, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't like being a hypocrite, but it's such a hard mida, this ayin tayva, and it's something that I have to work on. It's something that I think many of us have to work on. But it's so critical to work on it, because it's not just that, oh, you chalk up another mida on your, on your value system. Ayin Teva is the difference, between having a beautiful life and having an absolutely awful life. There are people in life that are wealthy beyond their wildest imaginations, successful, creative, talented, great jobs. And they cannot enjoy a second of their lives because there are people that are more talented and more creative and more successful. I have a good friend who grew up in a very affluent neighborhood on Long Island. And he walked one day home from Shul together with one of the wealthiest men in that neighborhood. And they were standing in front of this wealthy person's house. It wasn't a house, though. It was a monstrosity of a mansion. It was a huge house with swimming pools, with tennis courts, with a servants' quarters, with three kitchens and with with a 100 bathrooms. It's huge. And the person, with, can you imagine talking to somebody like that with that house as a backdrop and then listening to this conversation? The person opened up to my friend and said, I have to admit, I, I'm... I'm a little depressed. He says, You're depressed. Look at that beautiful house that you have. How could you be depressed? Are you crazy? He says, That house? That house behind me? The Jose it's worthless to me. It's like I live in like a little shack. It's nothing. It's like a doghouse. He says, That's a doghouse? He says, I I'll give you my real doghouse and how about we swap? I go the doghouse is a gorgeous mansion. It's like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous over here. What are you talking about? A dog? He says, you're right. He says, I'm not crazy. I know that it's a beautiful house. I know that it's a, you know, it's a mansion that most people in the world would, would die to have. He says, but there's one person that just moved into town. And he's building a larger mansion than this. It's going to eclipse my mansion in terms of size. In terms of style, in terms of elegance, and now my mansion is not worth anything. This is—I I spoke to my friend. This is—this isn't like apocryphal. This isn't a babble. This is something that my friend, who I trust, told me bepemoe many, many years ago. But it still stays in my head, like the astonishment of it. But such is the depth of of Midas. That a person could naturally, truly, genuinely feel that way. This isn't a joke. This is how people, how warped people that are not usharm could be. Is this person a happy person? Is this person a rich? Can you call this person rich? He's the poorest person in the universe. He's not rich, he's poor. He's dirt poor because he looks at everything that he has as being nothing. How many of us suffer from that poverty also? No matter how good we have it, we look at other people and we're jealous. That's the way many people are. Most people, I think, are that way. To have an iron raw is the natural way. I don't like that you were successful. It bothers me. Why did God give you that and not me? And it tarnishes all of the enjoyment in my life. The Archa Sadiqim puts it best. The Archa Sadiqim says that if you would be able to have let's say a a portrait of all the people in a room in a room of affluent people and you would let's say circle the head put one of those circles that you see sometimes in photographs around a certain head of the guy that's jealous of somebody else there's somebody in the room that's jealous like crazy about somebody else in the room Everybody else in the room, he says, is enjoying the, sh- the, the sushi and enjoying the, the schnapps and the wine. A beautiful banquet, except for him. He's not getting any taste. He can't eat. He can't enjoy. He can't take any pleasure from Elam Haza because that insanity of being jealous and having an iron Ra against somebody else is affecting himself. You think you're affecting that person, the person that you're jealous of, He's having a wonderful time at the party. He's enjoying everything. You are ruining it for yourself. Ayin Teiva and Ayin Ra is not just whether you're from or not from. It's not just whether you're in the yeshiva of Ramavino or you're not in the yeshiva of Ramavino. You're in the yeshiva of Bilam Arasha. That too, of course. But this choice is a choice that we make whether or not we want to have a life that's, that's livable or not. Do we want a life that we could digest our food and sleep at night, and take a walk in the park and enjoy the fresh air and enjoy our children's smiles, enjoy a Shabbos, enjoy a Yom or Are we going to go through life and constantly begrudge? That's actually a good word, begrudge, is to not plug in, <laughs> to begrudge people that that have more than we do. Oh, my neighbor pulls up with a brand new lease. Uh, you know, Lex says, "Oh, oh my gosh, my my car is worthless now. I need a fancier car. I need a better car. I need a better payback program." But that's how we ruin our lives. We have to be a and We have to work so hard to try to eradicate every trace of kinnah from, from inside of us. To be a yasher, to be like Avraham Avinu, to be his Talmud to be able to see other people and I'm happy for you, you got a new Karmazal you should be Gebenched be with it give him a bracha go into his new house and be like Rav Shemizaman and look around the house it's a beautiful house I love the color of the paint that you chose I love the, the moldings I love the oh it's such a big beautiful window that you have there brilliant to put it there and not there Make them feel good about themselves. It doesn't cost you anything. And the more that you're made to, the more that you're able to mashvi on others and have an and ta'iva for other people, the happier you will be. Because the more you will be mistopic, you will be satisfied with your own line in life. It's a very hard need to work on. It's very, very hard because it cuts to the core of, of, of who we are and our dissatisfaction with many of the, the factors that, that we have inside very hard to see other people have things that we don't but this is one of the things that the tire expects from us and the reason why the tire expects it is because the tire wants us to be happy the tire wants us to feel simple. the tire wants us to be real ashiram that are the tire wants us to be happy the tire doesn't want us to be perfect the Torah wants us to be happy. And they understand, the Torah understands that happiness comes from being satisfied with what you have and at the same time not having to look at other people and being upset by their success. Mitzvah Hashem, we should be To enter the yeshiva, this Shabbos is lech Lecha, we're starting to enter the, the rarefied airspace of the Abay Senu throughout the parshias of Sefer Beresh, it starts in earnest this week. And Halavai, Halavai, we should be able, like the Major says, to ask ourselves, When already will my Midas somewhat emulate the Midas of our... When we speak about Avram Avinu, by the way, this is one more thing, I know it's very, very late. When we speak about Avram and Yitzhak and Yaakov, sometimes we think about them as... Torah personalities, you know, these are biblical personalities, and we learn things from them, and we, you know, we talk about them at the Shabbos table, and we discuss it, but we don't have that personal connection. But do you realize that this is, these people were our great-great-grandparents? You know how proud I am of the fact that I have a, a great-great-grandfather that was the worst figure of? It's one of the Gedolei Yisrael in Germany. It's a very big source of pride for my mishpacha, and you know we name our children after him, and and you know in our family and, and you know it's a source of pride. And if you stamp from the Vilna Gain, you talk about day and night how you come from the Vilna Gain, You come from Reb Kiveger. We come from Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. They're not strangers. They're not Torah personalities. They are grandparents. And if they have those midas, as Rokhaim Molojnar himself writes in am, it's in our DNA. It's Kiteba, Mutva Banu, all that they accomplished with great difficulty. They paved the way for us to follow. If we learn about them, that means that we have it somewhere inside to be a little bit like them. Which means that we already have a head start to get there. And amidst Hashem, as we enter into their yeshiva, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, as we say every day, and we, we declare emphatically that these are our forefathers. We're proud of our Yichas and we try to relate to them in any which way. We have to try to relate to them in every which way. Have a good Shabbos.